This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Welcome to On the Cover, a weekly Madsplainers feature. I'm podcast producer Natalie Yar, and each week I sit down with the reporter behind our latest cover story to find out why it matters. Cap Times reporters have been covering the ongoing fallout from the death of George Floyd, who died when a Minneapolis police officer kneeled on his neck for more than eight minutes as Floyd cried and said he couldn't breathe. Floyd's death has drawn renewed outrage over police violence toward black Americans, sparking protests across the country and right here in Madison. Those protests are the subject of this week's cover story, and we've got a full house on the podcast today to talk about it. I'm here, virtually, with Metro reporter Nicholas Garten, K-12 education reporter Scott Gerard, and state government reporter Brianna Riley, who've been reporting on this developing story for the Cap Times. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for having us. Last Thursday, Michael Johnson, the CEO of Boys and Girls Club of Dane County, teamed up with Madison 365 to host a virtual town hall about Floyd's death, where police chiefs, the sheriff, and local leaders discussed the responses. Nick, you tuned in for that. What did you hear? What we heard was a lot of anger boiling over on the part of two of the panelists, particularly Mount Zion Baptist Church Pastor Marcus Allen, and um, Anthony Cooper of Nehemiah, they spoke at length to start this out and were very raw and very heartfelt. Over 865 people were watching it live. And um, there were over 1,300 comments, most of which were the same tone and tenor of people just really fed up and really angry. The Chiefs engaged, but of course, you know, you're dealing with professional people who have different, you know, kind of spokesperson speak when they're at these kinds of things. And I would say with the exception of Sheriff Mahoney, most folks were pretty dialed down. You know, he was sort of demanding justice as is his way and absolutely resolute that his deputies would not engage in this kind of behavior. But I think what we didn't hear was what they would do if an officer of theirs did. And I also found myself wishing that Ismail Azan was on the panel because I thought that hearing from a prosecutor is almost more important in this than hearing from the police chiefs. Because at the end of the day, it's the prosecutor who has to deal with it. And um, not to elaborate too much, but I you know, while I was writing the article about it, I worked myself up so hard about like the DA not being there that I ended up calling him just cold. And it was awesome because he was really heartfelt on the phone. He answered. Um, He called me right back and talked about his own experiences as a father and as a son of color. And I, it made the coverage of that town hall, to be honest with you. And what did you hear from the organizers afterward about the response to the town hall? Well, I heard from Michael Johnson that there were a lot of issues. There were donors of Boys and Girls Club who told him that 
the organization shouldn't be making things about race. There were other black leaders in this city who called him a coon and an Uncle Tom and a minstrel on his Facebook page. And he was frustrated and angry when I spoke to him after this. On Saturday, as our listeners probably know, thousands took to downtown Madison amidst a pandemic to protest. Brianna, you were there. What did you see? Still a lot of that same anger and frustration. Everyone that I talked to and also the the speakers there, some of them got really tearful when I was talking to them um, one-on-one. It was just a really hard situation. Um, I think a lot of people were really impressed by kind of the show of, of force with having so many drawn to the Capitol and downtown area during the day. But there is no sense that justice has been reached yet. You know, the, the initial protest and event at the Capitol came a day after we saw charges filed against one of the officers. But, you know, there were still three others on the scene that were present and did not intervene. So there was calls for levying charges against them, but also just reforming the system, overhauling the entire system as a whole, not just in Minneapolis, but across the nation. I should note that in addition to to more recent incidents, incidents being highlighted, protesters and organizers didn't shy away from talking about the history in our own community with Tony Robinson's death in 2015. Um, He was the 19-year-old Black man who was fatally shot on Williamson Street by white officer Matt Kenny, an MPD official. So there was was a lot of of calls for justice still in that case, too. So the frustration was palpable. But again, I really want to stress that the, the events of that afternoon were very peaceful. Thousands of individuals that showed up to participate, you know, surrounded the Capitol, chanted and marched um, in front of MPD. And then quite a few did also march down East Wash and then over to Williamson Street. But all of that, all of the entire event was, was again, like I said, um, very peaceful from the, the part of the protesters and getting a sense from talking to individuals there. There was an acknowledgement that we're in a pandemic, of course, that the coronavirus crisis is still occurring, but there was a sense that this moment couldn't be ignored. And even though they weren't maybe the most optimistic that one event, one protest would change anything, they still felt an obligation to demonstrate and, and call for call for these overhauls in their community. So it was really powerful to see. The protests continued on Sunday and Monday, and now, Tuesday, more demonstrations are planned for this afternoon. Scott, what did you see and hear when you were out on Sunday? Yeah, Sunday, uh, it was a smaller group at first, and it started much later in the evening. I got up to the Capitol around 6.30 p.m., and a group had kind of been forming throughout the day. One person I spoke with said he was the first person to return to the Capitol after the previous night. And he was there at noon and it just kind of built slowly throughout the day. The group for there about three and a half hours before the 9.30 p.m. curfew uh, was marching up and down State Street, marched around the Capitol Square a few times and was just chanting. Uh, some speakers spoke again. They brought up Tony Robinson. They brought up racial justice in general. Some even addressed the fact that they were out there during a pandemic and spoke a little bit about how yeah, sure, the pandemic can be a concern, but a greater concern for them as Black people was police brutality uh, and the history of systemic racism. And so there were a lot of different topics, um, police that 
evening uh, were lining State Street. There were about five officers on each block, some around the Capitol Square. They were in regular uniform prior to curfew and, and even after curfew for a short time. And, and again, it was peaceful early on in the night, just a lot of chanting and speaking and passion. You saw a lot of passion from people who were there. One person I spoke with uh, had brought his three-year-old son uh, and was carrying him on his shoulders or they were walking next to each other at various times. And he just spoke about how he wanted his son to see and be prepared for what he was going to face in this world uh, and understand what demonstrating looked like. And just ha- he had a very emotional conversation uh, with me about what it meant to have his son there with him. And I was out on Monday, the organizers of the original Saturday protest, that would be Freedom Inc., Urban Triage, and the Party for Socialism and Liberation had convened a press conference and action. Uh, The press conference took place in front of the Madison Police Department downtown. And then protesters marched, uh, chanting and singing through the edge of downtown and around to John Nolan Drive, where they then occupied the intersection of John Nolan and North Shore. One of the protesters I spoke to was Michael McCarter, who was out there with his partner and two children. And he told me for him, this really was about him and his family. I want to be able to walk down these streets where I was raised at and just be, feel comfortable. That's it, as a black man, because I lived out here like for a long time and I just wanted to be safe and safe for my kids. I also spoke to Heidi Wegleitner. She's a member of the Dane County Board of Supervisors and was out there with her son and a sign full of numbers and had a lot to say about budget allotments. She thinks that this is an issue that has some really concrete solutions locally. The Madison Police Department portion of the operating budget dwarfs the investment on the Community Development Division, which funds things like housing and tenant services and child care and youth programs and senior programs. So it's really important that we use the city's precious resources to invest in people in the community and away from police that is harming the black and brown communities in Madison. So these patterns of police violence, as well as other types of systemic racism, have really generated a lot of anger and grief, as we've talked about. And the largest protests have been peaceful demonstrations where, despite the heightened emotions, protesters haven't damaged property or hurt anyone or clashed with the police. But there have also been smaller demonstrations, largely at night and focused around State Street, where participants have broken windows, looted stores, thrown things at police officers, and the police officers have responded by firing tear gas and pepper spray. Uh, Mayor Satya Rhodes-Conway has also called out the National Guard uh, on Sunday. What have we been hearing from protesters about these actions? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the conversation Sunday night when tensions escalated between protesters and police uh, for the first half hour after the 9.30 p.m. curfew, uh, it was still a relatively quiet march with chanting and pretty packed bodies of protesters with cops at various spots around the Capitol Square, uh, but not an overwhelmingly large presence initially. Uh, There was an altercation between a couple protesters and some police in front of one building. Some other protesters 
you know, sort of tried to self-police, but there was a, a punch thrown based on videos uh, and the group scattered. And shortly after that, tear gas was used and things escalated. From that point on, a lot of what protesters were saying is they just didn't understand the level of response from police. Uh, soon after that, police and riot gear showed up as well. And, and the night really escalated from there um, into ongoing confrontations. And, and protesters just expressed a lack of understanding for why the police were using tear gas and pepper spray at the times they were. Oftentimes, protesters would be kneeling in a group right in front of a line of police with riot shields, and uh, then pepper spray would be used, uh, regular time increments. Uh, It seemingly was to break up the crowd and and have them disperse, and it eventually worked to disperse the protesters into smaller groups. Some went different directions once they were being pushed down Wisconsin Avenue. But again, you, you just heard a lot of I would say fear from the protesters initially at like what was going to happen next and when were police going to use a tear gas canister and then anger. Uh, you also saw a lot of protesters being prepared for each other. It was the second night where tear gas was used. So a lot more people had milk with them uh, and were offering to pour it over people's faces if they got uh, tear gas or pepper spray. But the response was really anger and a lack of understanding. Uh, from some. And then others, I think, uh, decided, well, there's chaos happening right now. So I'm going to break some windows here because we're already out here. And the police have already kind of done this response level. You know, the looting wasn't happening early in the night on Sunday. But once the confrontation started, it began. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. Many have drawn a distinction between these chaotic nights and the larger peaceful protests, but organizers of those larger protests have resisted any attempt to label some protests as good and others as bad, calling it a divide-and-conquer tactic. They say that people will rebel in a variety of ways under these kinds of pressures. And what we believe is that black people who are the victims of hundreds of years of terror, hundreds of years of white supremacy, hundreds of years of police terror, we have the right to fight back however the fuck we fight back. Brianna, you live down by State Street. Can you tell us a bit about the property damage that's happened and what it's looking like down there? Sure. So I want to echo a little bit of what Scott said first and say that you know, while thousands had demonstrated peacefully on on Saturday, initially, it seems like and in, in police accounts, you know, for whatever that's worth, have, have backed up that there was a, a much smaller group around 100, 150 initially that had started the encounters with police and the, you know, the attempt to break into or at least break the windows of Goodman's Jewelers further down State Street on Saturday afternoon that seemed to kickstart the, the, the sort of clashes with police officers and you know police and riot gear were were soon kind of pushing masses of people down state street towards campus but anyway um yes following that inciting event or at least what appeared to be the inciting event on saturday afternoon businesses saw broken glass smashed windows um some levels of looting spray paint and graffiti and other vandalism on their storefronts. In the days since, we've seen 
most of those businesses on state boarding up their windows. And if for some reason storefronts hadn't decided to do that, we saw this morning, Tuesday, that following the events on Monday night, the remaining ones were starting to do that as well, at least the boarding up, the boarding up actions on their windows. There's some, obviously there's differences in responses from business owners and, and Caitlin Farrell's story touched on that a little bit, but many of them that I talked to in passing this morning, Tuesday morning, didn't conflate property damage with human lives. They were sort of understanding of the situation and expressed resilience that they would continue trying to um, keep their businesses as safe as possible, but they didn't necessarily denounce the activities, at least when I talked to them. So it's unclear how long this will last, of course, but business owners do seem to be sort of prepared and, and ready for whatever happens. So looking ahead, what do we know about what's next for these protests? Yeah, so as we're speaking, it's uh, still Tuesday morning, but Tuesday afternoon, there will be a few demonstrations. Freedom Inc. is planning uh, some sort of caravan uh, protest starting at the Dane County Jail this afternoon. And then uh, the Citywide Black Student Union is planning uh, an event that's starting at Penn Park at 2 p.m. So I don't know how either of those will go just yet, but we'll certainly have had coverage on our website. And I, I don't think these rallies and events are going to be ending anytime soon. Yes, you hear some around the country talking about waiting for the protests to dissipate and for things to sort of get back to normal. But it seems that both the pandemic and these protests have made clear that for many, normal just wasn't working. And it looks like these protests are about far more than just one specific case of police misconduct. Given that, what are the issues you all will be tracking as you continue to report on this? Well, I'll be talking with youth mentors and neighborhood center leaders to talk about the messages that people are getting and giving to youth um, about all of these issues. I'm going to be speaking with United Way about stuff that they're doing. And I will speak with Michael Johnson, I'm sure, as well, to talk about what the future is for his advocacy on this issue. And that's really where I'm hoping to see, you know, my own coverage go. Yeah, and I think many of us will be focused on the daily coverage for as long as these demonstrations last. I think it's really important, especially for reporters to be there. Um, if you've read any of the incident reports from Madison Police Department over the last few days versus watching coverage of reporters on the ground, you can see some differences in how events were described uh, when tear gas was deployed, whether it was at all, um, which it was for <laughs> all three of those nights. So I, I think it's really important for reporters to continue being there, documenting what's going on. And, and having a better understanding of the events that took place. So, but of course, apart from the daily content, fellow local government reporter Abby Becker will, you know, continue working on on longer follow up stories that I'll be happy to assist her on as needed. And we'll just keep pulling together as a team and and making sure that we're looking at all all angles of this. Brianna, Nick, Scott, thanks so much for joining me to talk about this. Thank you, Natalie. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Cap Times reporters Nicholas Garten, Scott Gerard, and Brianna Riley. 
We've been talking within our newsroom about how we'll continue covering not just these protests, but the demands and policies that have prompted them. We'll be following those issues in our stories and perhaps even upcoming Madsplainers episodes. If you have a specific question or topic you'd like us to explore, please email me at nyarmadison.com. That's N-Y-A-H-R at madison.com. I'll be back next week with a conversation about our next cover story. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to The Madsplainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening, and leave us a review while you're there. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, all about food and drink in Madison, and Wedge Issues, all about state politics. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.